Hey friends, it's Daniel Schreiner with the Disciple Henson Podcast. And back in mid-July, some of you may remember I was preaching in Philippians 2, and I was talking about fathers in the faith, and I mentioned some fathers in the faith for me personally, and I brought up my former youth leader, John Erickson, who rebuked me and uh, some friends for having baseball cards during youth group, and I thought I should reach out to John and let him know, you know, 25 years later, about the impact he had on, on me, and just that one example, I thought he would be humored. To, to hear that I featured him as an example. So I reached out to him, I sent him the sermon clip and we corresponded a little bit and it was fun to reconnect. And then I saw that him and his church, Jubilee Community Church in the heart of downtown Minneapolis was featured in on the Gospel Coalition website. And I thought, I should talk to John on the Disciple Henson podcast and hear about how they're thinking about reaching out uh, to their neighborhood and to the city when there's riots going on, when the city's on fire, and uh, get some advice and just also know how we can be praying for Minneapolis and for their church. So I hope you're encouraged. All right, folks, welcome to the Disciple Henson podcast. I'm here with my friend, John Erickson. It's been 25 years since we've last talked. John, welcome to the show. Thank you. So good to be with you. <laughs> Why don't you briefly introduce yourself to us, John, kind of how you became a Christian, your family, what you do, just all the, all the good stuff. Yeah, so I grew up in Minneapolis, was uh, the lone youth at a little Lutheran church here, never a member in the gospel at the church I grew up in, um, through God's providence, came out of a frat house at the University of Minnesota to a Bible school in Montana where I came to know the Lord, long story, uh, for another time. From there, God directed my steps to the Master's College in California, where the one preacher in chapel that stuck out to me the most was the one preacher that combined a just crazy passion with tremendous biblical care. And uh, his name was John Piper. And I talked to him and realized that his church was a mile from my house and he lived six blocks from my house. And I had never heard of him or been to his church and said, I'm going to come visit you when I get done with school. And he said, come on. And the next time I talked to him, I was interviewing to be a youth pastor at Bethlehem Baptist Church, which is where our paths cross. So That's right. crazy. And he rebuked me for my baseball card idolatry. I, I don't remember it that way. I just remember lovingly encouraging you to a greater joy. But uh, I'm sure you're. I'm sure you've got it right. <laughs> what uh, What Bible college was it in Montana? Montana Wilderness School of the Bible. Okay. Tiny little school up in the mountains that God has used in a powerful way. That's excellent. So what about, what, what, you're, what are you doing now, John? What's your, tell me about your family, what you do, where you yes. live. So my wife is Leslie. We have seven children. Our oldest is 21 down to six. We were connecting a little bit before that during the adoption of our second son, my wife was graciously hosted by your family back in Louisville and 2000, and so a neat family connect there. And uh, I pastor Jubilee Community Church, which the next two Sundays we're celebrating our 10th anniversary by God's grace. Before that, had planted another church out of Bethlehem. Before that, was on staff at Bethlehem for 10 years doing youth ministry. Any interests or hobbies? Well, 
back to the days of baseball. Still love baseball. Still love the Twins and uh, yeah, enjoy sports. It's been fun uh, with our kids watching them play sports and getting to coach them in baseball and basketball and different things. And so uh, whatever they're interested in is is uh, kind of my rotation of hobbies. But uh, like to read and uh, yeah, just uh, lots of interesting things in Minneapolis always. So there's lots of hobbies around here. Speaking of Minneapolis, tell us, I know folks would be interested to know um, about the neighborhood you live in. So what is it? You've been in this neighborhood your whole life, other than going away to uh, college and Bible school. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. My parents moved here when I was a little boy in 1982. And so it's 38 years here in Phillips neighborhood. So uh, which is when I was a little boy, it was the worst neighborhood in the city. Um, it's uh, improved at different times over the years, but now recently it's kind of back to being very rough, very challenging. And it's, it's a very diverse community, lots of different cultures together, but also a lot of brokenness that through city planning, uh, drug addiction and mental health and homelessness, all, uh, different solutions for those things are all plopped in our neighborhood. So, um, there's just a lot, a lot of brokenness all kind of packed into uh, a small area. So we love it and it's hard and God's good. And it's constantly a challenge to, to uh, figure out how to best glorify Jesus and stay safe and love neighbors and all of that, all intermingled. Yeah, I, I, I would be really interested to know a little bit more about how you seek to love your neighborhood and there was recently a piece in TGC where uh, churches, yourself and Jubilee and uh, other churches and individuals were featured in terms of just loving the neighborhood. But why don't you tell us a little bit what that looks like for, for you guys over the last 10 years and especially recently? Yeah. Well, I would say, first of all, it's, it's never anything flashy. Um, My parents were influenced by a man named John Perkins going back to 1982, who uh, is kind of the the grandfather of a movement called Christian Community Development Association. He said, ghettos are created when Christians and and, and interested parties move out. And so he he said the way to restore at-risk communities is to relocate into hard areas. Uh, He's got three R's. That's the first one. Second is live out the reconciliation that Christ has already accomplished. And third, seek to redistribute gifts, talents, and abilities back into the neighborhood. That means that uh, just people that care coming back into the neighborhood that that, uh, call the park board when the the basketball rim is broken and uh, call someone when there's graffiti and, and figure out a way to pick up trash and just try to care about the neighborhood. But more than that, then as you live here for a while, then it's saying, okay, what are the bigger issues and and how do we address them? So one of the elders at our church was burdened by God years ago with the the huge educational disparity in our neighborhood. Um, The neighborhood school that I went to, uh, children there are are passing the reading proficiency for grade level test at about 18%. So you think of 82% of, of children year after year aren't reading at grade level. It's just this huge disparity compared with, with uh, better schools 
locally, but God led him to start uh, an amazing Christian school 20 years ago called Hope Academy. And so a number of our people work there and minister there. And so there are a number of different ministries that have sprung up, but then a number of people that are just trying to love one person and one person and be a good neighbor. And Mm. by God's grace, over time, there is some effect and yet you can drive through the neighborhood and feel like there's very little effect on another way. So uh, we remind ourselves frequently that this is a kingdom work and the kingdom of God is often uh, coming like a mustard seed that's hard to see and we it, it doesn't get many headlines and you just try to stay the course and ask uh, the Lord to, to work. We do a lot of praying and say, ask him God to help us. And uh, so uh, we feel very needy. And at the same time, we feel the, the help of the Lord uh, very significantly. Praise God. I, I love to hear how, how you're thinking through this and your, your all's example of faithfulness in a dark place. Um, what does it look like for you, John, as a, as a pastor? Like, how does, how does the fact that you're in the neighborhood that you're in impact maybe your sermon application or what your day-to-day week looks like, um, maybe how might your um, life look different than maybe another pastor in another place because of where you are and the things that have happened in your neighborhood? Yeah, we wrestle with that a lot. We uh, agree that the, the definitional nature of a church should be pretty narrow, that a, a church is not a, a social service agency. It shouldn't have lots of ministries for the neighborhood, but if a church is growing and healthy, its people will uh, be dreaming all kinds of good gospel dreams and be involved with all kinds of good gospel works. And so we, we work to try to keep that balance uh, so that we are preaching and praying and loving and staying as, as your former pastor Mark Dever likes to stay, trying to just love people, shepherd them well in the work of the church. But all the while, very aware that there are no end of issues around us. This summer, um, just w- with everything that happened with with riots and destruction, that was all throughout our neighborhood. Uh, we've had four all-family meetings, all church meetings, uh, just thinking through how do we process this and how do we think about being citizens and being safe and raising families and do we move or not move and, and all of these issues. So. Um, as with any missionary or anybody else, you, you, you want to be faithful as a pastor and you, you obviously have to live in the midst of all the, the context that God's put around you and try to uh, balance those things as God gives you grace. You never do it all right, but, but God helps you to, yeah. to day by day, week by week, try to sort it out. Mm-hmm. Do you have any stories that come to mind of maybe something that, um, that you've been encouraged by where you've seen opportunities for yourself or your family or even your church family to be, to be a light, uh, to have an opportunity to, to love people in a Christ-like way in the midst of darkness. And, and then also maybe anything that has been really discouraging or hard, anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, it, it sure feels like it's always, it's always a mixed bag. I just was, uh, sitting on our front porch last week with one of the, the teachers at Hope Academy, who's a young man who came from a very, very broken home, and God in His grace saved him and, and uh, has just 
matured him at a really fast pace. I got a chance to do his his wedding uh, last year, and here he is living in a in a broken context. His extended family has a lot of brokenness, and yet just walking with Jesus and loving Jesus. And we're walking and talking, and he was just sharing with me that he's been investing in his little sister, and she just has trusted Christ and been born again. And he just I was sitting there last week thinking, I love being a pastor. I love mm. to hear these stories of just the, the relentless faithfulness of our God who is letting his kingdom come, which is what we pray just over and over and over again, and being reminded of that. We, uh, when, when Jubilee started, I did not expect uh, that God would raise up church planting efforts to Sweden and Cameroon. And so here we are trying to figure out our neighborhood and God's doing things across the world. And we just say, thank you, Lord. So Mm -hmm. no end of encouragement. And again, there's uh, crazy things that are uh, the the target where my son was working uh, was destroyed and and burned down and lots of our restaurants and everything else and banks and all these things destroyed. But one, one story that I think captures uh, the, the mixture of these things is right in the middle of our neighborhood is uh, a park called Stewart Park. And the Minnesota Twins, uh, back in 2005, invested some money to build a baseball field in the middle of Stewart Park. And it's called Bob Casey Field. So when you and I went to a Twins game so many years ago, Bob Casey was the announcer. He was famously known for his nasally voice. He'd always say, no smoking in the Metrodome. And uh, so Bob Casey Field was built, this beautiful baseball field in the middle of the park, in the middle of our neighborhood, and for five years it sat empty. Mm-hmm. And you say, why is that? What, what, what would cause there to be no baseball in this beautiful baseball field? The only groups that used it were rental groups. Well, as our kids were getting to baseball age, I looked around for a baseball team. There was no team in the neighborhood, so we signed up for the closest park to us, which was two miles away and a completely different socioeconomic world away. It was uh, two miles away and million-dollar homes and everything else. And so we, we did T-ball and whatnot over there for a couple of years. And after two years, I said, this is not working. This isn't our neighborhood. What are we going to do? And so we started a little baseball team at the park at this ball field called the Phillips Fire Ants. And for five years, we, we coached up boys in the neighborhood. And uh, it was sweet and it was just this mixed bag of latino and native and african-american and white and african all together on this this baseball field and and uh it was was really really sweet and all the while trying to point them to jesus and and Mm -hmm. tell them what real manhood was was and get some folks from our church and involve them into this baseball team and and uh it's been so sweet to watch those relationships that have grown out of that. And uh, this past, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, got news that one of the young men on our team uh, was just killed and uh, one of our uh, young native guys. And And it's that whole mixture of beauty and brokenness all, all put together that's always kind of right here and, and, and right in front of us. So some of those guys, now five years later, we continue to gospel. One of them was on a men's retreat that several of you guys were a part of this week and no spiritual interest to this day. And you just go, Lord, how long? So mm. you, you love and you see some that turn to Christ, others that don't. And all the while you say, Lord, help us to be faithful in the middle of it all. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing those stories, John. Um, yeah. Your, your example of using 
uh, the platform of like, say, Little League reminds me, uh, Mike McKinley. Do you know who that is? He's a pastor yep. in Virginia. He was with us and was sharing similar stories about how the Lord has opened doors through just seeking to be a good neighbor, being in the neighborhood, loving, loving the kids and the families. Mm. Um, what t- tell us a little bit more about your church, John? There's obviously a lot of strife in your city, mm-hmm. um, but what about your church? How's your church doing? How's Jubilee? Yeah, by God's grace, he is helping us. We have a lot of folks in our church that are involved in ministry in one way or another. Um, so we're, we're thankful for that and, and just a lot of ministry passions and dreams. And uh, like every church in America, trying to sort out the, the, the present cultural moment from COVID to George Floyd to everything else. But the Lord has, has helped us. Um, I think if you visit the building we rent from, we don't own a building. It's very unimpressive. And yet the impressiveness is just the grace of God in the life of a people. And uh, so just could not be more thankful for the the people that God has uh, raised up and has sent out in many different directions and is continuing to grow. And um, so, yeah, I, I'm very, very thankful for Jubilee. It's a, it's a wonderful group of people with lots of grace from God and lots mm. of, uh, lots of faith to do different things. One, one thing that God's been doing recently is, is stirring up a, a passion for foster care in our church. That was not really high on my list of, of, uh, priorities at the beginning. Obviously we want to care for the fatherless, but the Lord has just caused this, this, uh, passion for foster care to grow and grow and grow in our church recently. I just go, thank you, Lord. So the, it's been mm. four families that have, taken in children through foster care. And just this past year, uh, four of the children, there were multiple children in multiple homes, but four of those children have been permanently uh, adopted into families. And we're just looking around saying, thank you, Lord. It doesn't, you know, you're not solving uh, the whole world's problems, the whole state's problems, but for those four children, that's a pretty big uh, reality. And so, again, I think it's this, that kingdom work of little, 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 and yet God does things through it all. And, uh, you give thanks. Amen. And you guys have your, you said seven kids, 21 to seven or six. Yes, sir. And, and how many of your kids are adopted? Yeah. So we adopted, uh, three. So number one, number two, and number six. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So, when, when we uh, were first married, we, we just were passionate about adoption. At that time, Bethlehem was uh, really thinking about adoption. Both of our families had adopted. My wife's parents had started a, a fund for adoption that, that God used. And uh, so right at the end of our second adoption, which is when my wife was at your house, my wife got pregnant and we were wrestling with, do we stop the adoption or not? She had miscarried twice. And now she was pregnant for a third time and we were just wrestling, what do we do? And, and uh, just felt like God was calling us to, to move forward. And so we did. And so we adopted our son, Joey. And then seven and a half months later, Abby was born. God kept that little girl. And so suddenly we went from one to three and we were new to marriage and parenting and everything. We just said, God, please get us through this year. This is crazy. And he did by his grace. And then he gave us twins. So we went to five so four kids. and five are twins. We went to four and five are twins. And yeah. so when they were born, our oldest was three years old. So it was officially madness uh, at our house. And, and you were pastoring uh, at that time as well? 
Yeah. 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 Church planning. <laughs> so let's see. We were, we were still at Bethlehem at that time. Oh, okay. So I remember coming into staff meetings, just zombie like. And I remember pastor, pastor John one time looked at me. He's like, man, you look really tired. Man, listen, come over and I will show you why. So it was definitely <laughs> oh, crazy and God was good. Amen. Um, John, we just have a, a couple minutes left. I was wondering if you just had any advice in general from what you've learned over the years, um, being a church in the city, reaching out uh, to those around you. What advice would you have for churches like ours that are, that are in the city? Um, anything that we can be doing, any, any even book recommendations. Our church is kind of a heady church, like an academic church. So um, we could be encouraged in action as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think two directions uh, that, that come to mind. The first is God is described in First Peter 5.10 as the God of all grace. And I think in, in this cultural moment, as, as we seek to think about the city, living in the city, not living in the city, thinking about different convictions, that being a people that is just absolutely committed to remembering the grace of God in our lives and extending that grace to one another as we wrestle through convictions and ministry dreams and everything is absolutely vital. I just think that is the glue, uh, especially in these hard moments and in hard times. Your city has gone through so much turmoil and and everyone is trying to interpret and think through different things differently. And so just calling one another to just a gracious spirit, which I'm sure your church is filled with, but it feels exceedingly important in these times. Mm, that's Second good. thing yeah, go ahead. Uh, that comes to mind is, remember asking John Perkins, who I referenced earlier, is in his 80s, African-American uh, just pioneer down in Mississippi. His books tell an amazing story and recommend to go get those. Those are not overly heady. They just tell a story. But I remember asking him, I said, uh, Dr. Perkins, you know, what we've sought to do is just walk alongside a few folks, invest in them, walk with them, try to train them. Uh, it doesn't feel very flashy. Is there a better way? And he said, you know, you look back to the, the, the way of Jesus, and, and that's what Jesus did. Mm. And you can't improve on, on the way of our Lord. And so, you know, I think of, of those old classics, Robert Coleman's Master Plan of Evangelism, Master Plan mm. of Discipleship, of just being faithful to invest in a few. Mm. Uh, I think of your, your former church, Capitol Hill, just modeled that so well of being a church where each one is just investing in a few. And in, in contexts that are challenging, it's, it's being intentional to say, let me be intentional to cross cultures. Let me be intentional to put myself in the way of, of those outside of the church and outside of my culture. And yet not doing that as a lone ranger, but trying to do that together as a people of faith to say, okay, I'm going to, if I'm going to co coach baseball, come with me and let's do that together. I remember we had a young man who was just graduating from the local Christian college. He had grown up in a small town. He's a white guy. And, and, and he heard about our baseball team and he said, I don't know anything about urban ministry. And I said to him, Pete, do you know how to throw baseball? He's like, I can do that. I said, okay, go throw with that young guy right there and help him get his get his form worked out and throwing the baseball well little by little he just hung out with us as I was uh, leading these guys and, and trying to model what we were doing out there and uh, three years later he was our head coach and it was just that experience of, of walking together and watching and seeing it happen and little by little so 
Uh, one of my favorite Proverbs is he who walks with the wise will be wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. So when you think about urban ministry, think about crossing cultures, think about ministry to uh, those that are different, um, just looking for those that have been at it for a long time, those who are committed to the gospel and have a track record of faithfulness in your area, because God has those people. Because wherever we're at, God's been at work way before we got here. It's certainly true for us. And uh, it's true in, in not only where your church is, but also where the members of your church are scattered. Sometimes it can feel like, okay, I have to start something. No, God has been at work for a long time. It's first matter of going around and seeing what has God been up to, and then where do I go from there? But asking those that have some wisdom uh, around you. One, one other book that I think is just essential, especially when you begin doing Ministry of the Poor and thinking is the book When Helping Hurts. Many people know of that book, but some people as they're trying to get involved don't know of that book. And that is a uh, absolutely mandatory book for just jumping into seeking to uh, love and minister the love of Jesus to the poor. That's excellent, John. Brother, thank you so much for taking time to talk with me and to bless our church. I know this will be a helpful conversation for, for folks at our church to hear. Um, can I pray for you? Please. Um, how, can we, how can I pray for your family, um, for, for Jubilee? If I'm honest, uh, there are multiple days where we pre- feel pretty fragile, uh, just as a family. Uh, my wife and I, I think there's been just kind of wave after wave of things on all sorts of different levels. Our, our longtime friends uh, on staff at Bethlehem, their, their daughter just passed away suddenly last week in her 20s, and just kind of one thing after one thing after one thing. And so I think it's, it's been that kind of summer of, of lament a little bit mm-hmm. and, uh, or more than a little bit. And, and so I think just praying for um, that, that keeping of the Lord. We know He's our keeper and He does keep us. But even with our children and with the families in, in the community here, there's just been a lot of wrestling with huge spike in crime and everything and just and Lord, keep us, keep us abiding in you, keep us walking with you, keep us loving one another well. And uh, so just praying for the Lord's keeping would be, uh, I think, the thing we, we uh, need most. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me, let me do that right now and just pray. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we do praise you as the God of all grace. And Lord, we pray that you would restore, establish, strengthen, and support uh, John and the Erickson family and Jubilee Church uh, as they, they suffer. We pray that they would see that these sufferings are for a little while. We pray that they would lament their, their pain and their loss uh, in trust. And Lord, we pray that you would keep them. We pray that they would abide in you. We pray that you, pray that you would draw near to them and comfort them and encourage them during this time. So Lord, we, we pray your blessing on them. We pray, uh, Lord, that you would glorify yourself, that you would make your name famous in Jubilee Church and in the Erickson family. Protect them, we pray. Keep them from the evil one. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 So good to be with you. So thankful for your church and uh, God's grace there. Again, it's an 